Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joel Craft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Thursday evening where we have the privilege to reflect into this great topic of theology of the body. You know, it's interesting. Recently, I had the opportunity to look at an index feed, uh, the demographics of who is listening to what program, and that really struck me to see that uh, Thursday evenings, our time together on Theology of the Body is the most listened to program. So certainly uh, that tells me that this subject matter is a hot topic. And so we are going to stick with the subject matter for, for a while. And I'm really excited for this evening because we do have the opportunity to engage in a conversation. I have some returning guests, Chris Seibert and Derek Allen. Chris Seibert, of course, has been joining me for Theology of the Body. Derek Allen has joined me on other programs, but this is the first time that he has uh, joined us for Theology of the Body, and I think he's going to be a mainstay here for a while every other week, if not every third week. So, uh, Derek, great to have you with us. Thanks for having me, Joe. And Chris, thanks for hey, coming Joe, once again. Hey, Joe, good to be back. Thanks. So, guys, as I was just talking about there, you know, people want to know more about eros and agape. You know, eros, that human, erotic, fleshy love, and uh, agape, that divine, sacrificial, cross-like love. Uh, people want to know more about this, and so this is why we are doing what we are doing. And what is it that we're doing? Well, uh, for maybe a first-time listener out there, uh, we are going through Christopher West's book, The Love That Satisfies, which is a theological reflection, very pastoral and very practical, on Benedict XVI's work, God is Love, where in the first half of that encyclical, he takes up uh, eros and agape. So we are reflecting with Christopher West, who is reflecting with Benedict the Sixteenth. So uh, we are in uh, good company here this evening, as we are each and every Thursday. You know, guys, one of the things I was reflecting about today in preparing for this evening was the fact that we are all married. This is the first time that three of us here have been in the studio that have all been married, and uh, we all are in various stages of our marriage, if you will. Derek, you are uh, newly married. You've been married for, what, yep. eight months? Eight months and a handful of days. Eight months and a handful of days. <laughs> Still knows the days. Still <laughs> important a, enough to count. That's, that's how an early married I man. was married. <laughs> uh, I, have, I have been married for uh, 10 years <laughs> and some days. Mm-hmm. And uh, Chris, you've been married for, what, By my calculations, I'm, I'm going on, uh, is it is it 6,000 some odd days? Yeah. Or is it 60,000? I don't know if my math is off, but tw- almost 23 years, Joe. Yeah. I'm this month, February 22nd, will be 23 years. Amen. And as we were talking about this, you guys, I had a personal reflection that uh, from a little less than one year to a little more than 10 years and, and almost 23 years, we have three very different stages of marriage. huh? And if there's one thing that rings true is that uh, whether you're married for eight months, uh, 10 and a half years or almost 23 years, while there are some differences, there are certain similarities. And I was focusing in on one particular similarity, which got me thinking about a story that I have actually not shared in quite some time, about a couple who had been married for 75 years. They were asked to uh, speak at a gathering I was at in Steubenville. 
And uh, I recall that day uh, quite well, actually, because I remember thinking to myself, you know, okay, if God chooses the vocation of marriage for me, I certainly can uh, gain to learn some lessons from a couple that has been married for 75 years. And so as the conference started and, and they came to the podium, the MC of the conference asked the question that everyone wanted to ask. And that question was, how did you do it? You know, 75 years. And I still remember to this day, the wife, all four foot nine, uh, 75 pounds of her, grabbing the microphone and saying, we're still getting to know each other. We're still getting to know each other. And you know, you guys, they said a lot of other things, but after that first thing, I didn't hear anything else. <laughs> I mean, that one line struck me to the core. And I knew, I knew right away that that truth was going to be the most important truth for me in my just not journey of faith, but my, my, my future vocation. I, my wife and I, we just got back from a marriage retreat, and there were couples there who'd been married 40, 50 years, and thinking to myself, wow, we're going to be there someday. How's that going to look? You know, what What are the stories we're going to have in 10, 20 years about our own marriage? Um, so it's certainly something my, myself and my wife, Kira, we're, we're really excited for going mm -hmm. into our marriage. Mm -hmm. What a beautiful thought for you, Derek, to be thinking, what are we going to look like when we've been married 40 years? I, I think the world needs a lot more of that. Our, our culture needs a lot more of that, of people who are looking at marriage in the long term. That's a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. I think, Joe... Um, when I reflected on what I would share about, you know, how it is that I'm still getting to know my wife, well, you know what came to me is I'm amazed and struck at how she is getting to know me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've been humbled in the last year or so of our marriage at certain times where I fall into maybe some of my unhealthy patterns as far as um, our interaction, and I have noticed how she gives me space to realize my own um, shortcomings, if you will, but doesn't she doesn't um, you know uh, come down on me or or you know get uh, miffed by it, but she mm -hmm. she lets me kind of make some realizations on my own, and that's really been striking me uh, recently that she is not only getting to know me better, but she's allowing me to get to know myself better, mm -hmm. and in that way, you know, our relationship has grown so. Mm -hmm. That's a, that's a really powerful thing yeah. for me to reflect on. Amen to that. You know, why are we talking about this, guys? Huh? Tonight is about Christ who reveals the full vision of man and our call to go deeper into the great mystery of love itself. God is love, and love is profoundly deep, so deep that it is inexhaustible. Huh? Remember what the Greek word means for mystery, mysterium, inexhaustible reality. We can never plumb the depths of God's love. Huh? I, I remember it was a, what, a couple months ago where that plane went down in the Indian Ocean and they, they sent some you know, special subs down there to go as far down as possible. And there's just one point, and I don't know how many hundreds, if not thousands of feet they were going down and they could no longer see and they just gave up. <laughs> we know more about you know, the, the stars in the sky than we do our ocean floors. There's profound mystery, and that's only a drop of the great mystery of God, and yet we are called to plumb those depths and discover the great mystery. And Chris, this is, of course, what your wife is doing. She's allowing herself to first be loved by God, and then she, in turn, is entering into that, still getting to know you. 
And what we are made to see here, guys, is that life itself is not a problem to be solved suddenly, but a mystery to be encountered continuously. And here's the thing. In our marriages, this is that, that single point I was talking about earlier, that, that one point that is always similar. We're still getting to know our spouses. One could say there is always a gap between the person we are and the person we ought to be. And as we journey towards Christ in that person we ought to be, what we discover is that we are not only loved profoundly by this great mystery of love, but we in turn then discover what this love looks like in our relationships. You know, and I don't want to jump the gun at all about his, you know, we're going to talk about a little bit about humanism and the humanistic view on God, but that sort of humanistic saying that, well, it's not the the destination that's important, it's the journey. Mm -hmm. And to some extent, that's what this mystery is about. It's about experiencing God's love in our lives, not just making it to heaven at the end of it and calling it a wrap. Mm-hmm. It, the point of life is to is to be lived to that extent of living it within God's love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think what you're talking about is there's joy in the journey. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I had somebody once say to me, and it kind of struck me, it was life is a moving picture. It's not a photograph. It's organic. Mm-hmm. We are constantly mm-hmm. living and learning, and that in itself is is a beautiful thing, mm-hmm. is the, the journey itself. Mm-hmm. And this is, you guys, what Benedict XVI talks about in God is Love. So why don't we go ahead and jump to that excerpt. Chris, if you want to go yes. ahead and read excerpt 37. True humanism consists in the fact that man, through a life of fidelity to the one God, comes to experience himself as loved by God and discovers joy in truth and in righteousness. And that beautiful insight, of course, uh, carries over from a wonderful paragraph from the documents of Vatican II, Gaudi Met's best paragraph 22, Derek. The truth is that only in the mystery of the incarnate word does the mystery of man take on light. For Adam, the first man was a figure of him who was to come, namely, Christ the Lord. Christ, the final Adam, by the revelation of the mystery of the Father and his love, fully reveals man to himself and makes his supreme calling clear. Amen. By way of footnote, by the way, paragraph 22 was one of the great contributions of then Cardinal Carol Wojtyla to the writings of Vatican II. And of course, Carol Wojtyla is St. John Paul the Great. So uh, it's always good to keep that in mind as, yes, we're talking about Christopher West and Benedict XVI. John Paul II is the father of theology of the body in so many ways. So we are going to the heart, the heart of what theology is all about, to talk about you guys, this great truth that Christ reveals the full vision of man. So what is it about that phrase, that statement? Well, it's first this. It's just not about what we do in our function, but who we are in our sonship. Uh, This is uh, what secularism gets all wrong. There's an overemphasis on how we advance uh, technologically. There's an overemphasis on this idea that our potential can only be realized to the extent that we give all of our time to technological advances, huh? By the way, what does the word secularism mean? Yes, out from the Enlightenment, we see this word being used as it speaks to belonging to the world. But what's interesting is that the word itself in the Latin speaks more to belonging to an age. So secularism is not reduced to the time after the Enlightenment, per se, as much as it belongs to every age that had a culture essentially, that belong to the world. 
that would reduce humanity to just what we can do versus who we are called to be. Again, guys, remember, we're not human doings, but human beings. And that's what lies at the heart of this. The world, secularism says, God gets in the way of man evolving. But they're missing a most important truth. Truth itself is not subject to time. What do I mean? Well, for purposes of illustration, I am Joe Holcraft. Uh, Does Joe Holcraft evolve? Yes, of course I do. I've noticed uh, I'm losing some more hair. My hair is getting a little more gray. Some devolving going <laughs> yeah, on. <Joe>. Yes, <laughs> that's right. That's right. But at my core, at my essence, I have not changed, right? My identity in, in my biological DNA, it has not changed. Well, Christ has left his spiritual DNA in the church. And while there are certain things that evolve in his disciplines, at its core, at its essence, that which is Jesus Christ, it will not change, but only bear witness to it. Well, and I, I mentioned I was we were on a, my wife and I were on this retreat, and there was a Capuchin Franciscan of the Renewal on this retreat, and he keyed me into an acronym. It's it's F O M O FOMO, and it's the fear of missing out. Hmm. And I feel like that if that the world says that if you let Christ reveal who you are to yourself, then you're going to miss out on all of the things that the world has to offer, and and. And for a lot of us, and, and even those of us of the faith, I think sometimes we subscribe to that fear. We think that, well, maybe if I do completely offer my life to Christ, I'm going to miss out on something, which is the exact opposite of the truth. Mm-hmm. If, mm-hmm. if we give our lives to Christ, we gain everything. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I think especially um, young people listening to this program can relate to that, F, the FOMO, because, well, if I don't get this thing that I did posted uh on social media, mm-hmm. then, you know, I'm not going to be fully alive as if that is going to, you know, reveal who we're called to be, what our actions are, what we're doing, as opposed to, like we're talking about, just our being, who we are before God. Yeah, that's right. That's right. There's always this, this um, you know, this false sense that I have to choose. Uh, I'm going to choose either to be with God or uh, a different path. And what comes to mind is the old, I don't know if it was Augustine or if it's Plato, I don't know if it's one of the Greek philosophers, the shadow uh, mm. play. Mm. What we're doing is we're, we're so worried about missing out on something, we're watching the shadows and we're saying, oh, okay, I'm a part of that shadow that's being you know, projected on this wall somewhere, when all we need to do is turn around where the source of the shadows are and, mm-hmm. and we're going to be bathed in light and we're mm-hmm. not even, I mean that shadow is just going to fall by the wayside because we'll be looking at what, what is the reality, mm-hmm. you know, the mm-hmm. true source of everything. Mm-hmm. That, to me, is what this is about, is us entering into that. Yeah, that's right. Well, and I think one of the things that causes us to look at those shadows is, is this fear of, well, if we look at the light, we might be blinded mm-hmm. by the light. And, you know, we get caught up in viewing God as, as sort of the tyrant of our life. But I always relate it to, and, and guys, I'm sure you can relate to this. When you were kids, during the summer, playing outside with your friends, what, how did you know when to be home? The streetlights came on. Mm-hmm. And if you weren't in that house by the time the streetlights came on, you knew you were in trouble. Mm-hmm. Now, were you in trouble because your parents didn't want you to have any more fun outside with your right. friends? Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> they didn't want you to get kidnapped. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's why you had to be in before the streetlights came on. Yeah. And so these commandments, this direction for our lives that God wants us to take isn't because 
he doesn't because he wants us to miss out on something. Mm-hmm. No, it's because he's a loving father who cares for his children and that he's, he's keeping our lives in mind. Yeah, and that's a bottom line point, and that's a beautiful analogy, Derek. It's, it's to understand that behind every no, there's an immeasurable greater yes, and, and that yes is to what it means to be authentically human, what, what it means to be, uh, in the spirit of Matthew Kelly, the best version of who God is calling us to be. And we can only discover this in light of that principle of sonship, because you just said it. <laughs> you spoke of the Father's love. Only if we are in relationship with the Father will we begin to understand the no, and will we trust it, right? Will we trust it? You know, trust is that most concrete act in virtue of faith, and uh, we don't want to go there. We don't want to enter into that, because uh, we do think of God in that kind of tyrannical, punitive way versus a God who loves, which is realized perfectly, guys, on the cross, which I think... Brings us to excerpt 38. Chris, why don't you go ahead and read that? God's eros for man is totally agape. This is not only because it is bestowed in a completely gratuitous manner without any previous merit, but also because it is love which forgives. Amen. I believe Christopher West offers up the Latin translation for mercy, the misericordia, uh, which means a heart that is given to those in misery, which really speaks to, in many ways, Uh, just not mercy, but also uh, forgiveness. There's that wonderful analogy given by uh, St. Faustina where she talks about the apple tree, and in the analogy, she speaks to how the apple tree produces uh, blossoms, and you would look at the apple tree, you see its blossoms, and you think that's the fruit of the tree, but, well, it's an apple tree, so it still needs to actually produce its fruit. Well, what is the fruit that comes out from that blossom? But the apple. Well, Similarly, for one St. Faustina, uh, love is the blossom of the tree of life, yet its fruit is forgiveness. Okay, so this is what lies at the heart of our faith, and certainly this is what we see on the cross in, in the Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. When he enters into human history, he enters into human misery, does he not? And in doing so, he teaches us how to live with one another in our misery. And how does he do this? Well, he loves without measure, without calculation. And we see this, again, concretely in the cross, do we not? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He doesn't condition his forgiveness to our apology. No, he just simply says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He does not allow another person's weakness to dictate his love. He just loves, because love inherently is oriented towards other. It's not concerned about self. And uh, this is the great gift that he teaches us on the cross. Well, and it's it's something that I've heard Father Thomas Loya say time and time again about the cross as it relates to theology of the body. And this has always struck me as, as incredibly profound, is that the cross is the nuptial bed of the church. Mm-hmm. And Jesus' final words in the, in the Latin are consummatum es. Mm-hmm. Not it is finished, as we see translated in the English, but it is consummated. Mm-hmm. And, and that, 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 that is really Christ fulfilling the Old Testament with the new. And, and really, instead of sort of the old covenants that were in the Old Testament, this new covenant, this covenant of forgiveness... And he's making his body a gift. 
to consummate mm-hmm. this forgiveness, Amen. this rebirth of the world. That's pretty profound. And that's where Eros and Agape uh, meet, right? Yeah. That's where Eros and Agape mm-hmm. meet. Um, that in his flesh, he reveals the beauty and the wonder of forgiveness. And, you know, you guys, I was wanting to, to get to forgiveness and talk about it a little bit because as we talk about, you know, we've been married for eight months or, mm-hmm. you know, a little over 10 years, 23 years. Often what gets in the way of a marriage growing and maturing is the absence of forgiveness. And certainly uh, for many of us, we feel like we are justified to feel the way we, we feel. Uh, but Christ puts before us a great challenge that ultimately in the end, if you want to enter into this consummatum est, if you want to really embrace this for what it is, then you must forgive. Now, the caveat to this is you cannot expect it. Right? You cannot expect forgiveness. Because as we've talked about a great deal on this radio program, expectation leads to disappointment, and disappointment breeds resentment. And suddenly, you are in a very bad place. And I don't know if this is the case for the two of you in your marriage, but for me, I find it far easier to forgive than to seek that forgiveness. I'm a proud sinner. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and so I want to keep that sin and not necessarily offer it up, especially if it's some way that I've hurt or, you know, affected my wife in some way. It's hard for me to, to ask for her forgiveness, mm-hmm. way more so than it is for me to forgive her. I mean, I love her, and so I, I, I want to forgive her. But I think it's harder for us, especially in marriage, to, to ask our spouse's forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And maybe... 30 years down from the line, that'll get easier. But right now, it's not so easy. Well, I'm here to tell you that it doesn't get easier. Darn. (laughs) Because when I uh, mentioned how my wife, Roberta, has grown in this way, and knowing me, that's exactly what I'm talking about. And it is hard. She knows me so well that she is already forgiving me of my, like you you mentioned it very well, proud center where I'm holding on to something. And I isolate myself. Mm-hmm. You know that mm-hmm. is at the core of our of our sin. I think is that mistake when, number one. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna take myself away from this, and I'm gonna either a beat myself up or just be in my own misery because of that pride. She recognizes this, and it draws me out of it such so much more quickly now because she is letting me know with her actions more than her words, even mm-hmm. that. I forgive you, and and I want us to be whole again. Mm-hmm. And I totally agree with Derek. It's a lot easier yeah, when yeah. I am the one forgiving her. Sure, but sure. it seems like it's a lot more me forgive or her forgiving me. Yes. <laughs> and who is greater a witness than a spouse yeah. to the other spouse? I yeah, mean, that yeah. happens all the time. To to take that back to the cross, who is the witness to Christ but the church? Mm-hmm. And and that is our purpose, and that is how we enter in to this marriage, this divine marriage, is, is by witnessing to our divine spouse, witnessing to Christ, witnessing to the gospel. And we witness first to ourselves. I mean, we, we allow our hearts to be evangelized. Evangelized by what? Well, what are we talking about here? That divine sacrificial love, which is absolute. It's unchanging. It's always important to remember, and I could never say this enough, there is nothing, nothing so great that we can do here on earth that is going to have God loving us any more than he already does. Conversely, there is nothing so tragic, and as hard as it might be for some of us to hear this and conceive of it, but there is nothing so tragic 
that we can do that is going to have the God who is love loving us any less. And what this speaks to is God's unconditional, absolute love. He says, you are better than you worst. Pick yourself up and follow me. Mm. Bottom line. Which is Eros. You know, that's, that's really sort of that passionate love that Christ has for us, mm-hmm. which is agape, as, as Pope Benedict says, because it's sacrificial, because it denies himself, um, which in my mind, I can't talk about forgiveness and sort of love without thinking of the prodigal son. Mm-hmm. While mm-hmm. the son is gone, his father isn't just meandering about going about his daily life. When the son returns, the gospel clearly states that the father is on the edge of his mm-hmm. property, mm-hmm. looking out. Mm-hmm. The father was waiting for his son. Mm-hmm. And then when his son finally goes to ask for forgiveness, the father doesn't even let him speak, mm-hmm. forgives him, gives him the finest clothing, gives him the finest ring, and slaughters the fatted calf, mm-hmm. which is, is the same love that Christ, that God has in store for us if we only ask for his mercy. Because he's not going to hit us over the head with it. He's not going to intrude. But he's there. He's available. And we are to reach out. There's always that posture. Our posture has to be to reach out and not to turn inward, like the, the prodigal son's father. He's reaching out. You know, he's Christ himself. You know, that's mm-hmm. our, especially as, as husbands, our model is Christ who is always reaching out to his spouse mm-hmm. at all times. Mm-hmm. I, I get a more modern image of, uh, you know, like a father and son swimming at a, at a local pool, and the father's trying to get his son to jump in, into his arms in the water for that first time. Mm-hmm. And of course, the kid, you know, maybe three, four, whatever, he's just, Toe at the line, afraid to do it, not going to jump, not going to jump. But of course, his father's standing there five minutes, ten minutes with his arms outstretched, just waiting for his kid to jump into the water. Mm -hmm. As much time as you need, son, as much time as you need. And eventually he will if he has that relationship with him, right? And, you know, you speak of the prodigal son and a couple of things. It's really interesting. When he hits rock bottom, he has this turning towards the potential of who he can be, huh? And the potential of who he can be comes out of that deeper contrition, that realization that there's there's something better for me. He abandoned his father because of what he thought he could do with all of that money, huh? And he realized that in the end, what he could do was no match for who he could be in light of his relationship to his father. As to the other piece, I think there is some insight to be gained when we look at the elder brother, right? We were talking about expectation a little bit earlier. The elder brother suffers from the disease of of entitlement, of expectation. I deserve! So much so that he no longer sees his brother as his brother. He says to his father, this son of yours. Mm. Okay, so you you have these these two poles really juxtaposed um, of what real love looks like, and what the absence of love looks like in light of expectation. Well, and I think that disease of entitlement is really what afflicts sort of modern humanism, that I can figure out who I am myself, Mm -hmm. that I know that I don't need someone else to tell me. I don't need someone else to help. I can do it by myself, Mm -hmm. which is the complete opposite. I really like the way Christopher West puts it, uh, Joe, is secular humanism is the religion of man being made God, mm-hmm. whereas we know that Christianity is the religion of God being made man, and that's where we need to find our our balance. That's right. God that's being right. made man. Amen. With that, let's close with the word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.